The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook Podcast for the month of September is Zero Mile Mark. Zero Mile Mark is a veteran-owned company that strives to offer high-quality, active, outdoor sports gear. They are on mission to get people outdoors by offering an array of products like tents, backpacks, hammocks, sleeping bags, lighting, and more. All sales have a 30-day warranty and ship via two-day shipping to 97% of the United States. And get this deal. For a limited time only, listeners can head over to ZeroMileMark.com and take advantage of their free tent promotion. Yes, you heard that right. If you'll get online, add any item into the shopping cart that exceeds $30, a tent will appear automatically for $0. It's a free tent, easy checkout, and fast shipping. And guys, I have this tent. I also have a backpack from there and can testify it's great quality. It's a real deal. And Brian, the owner, is a really cool guy. I want you guys to get some stuff, get some products, get this free tent, and get outdoors. Enjoy your life. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview a new friend of mine. I've known about him for a while, but Got to meet him about a year and a half ago, I think. But I get to interview today, Kosti Hinn. Kosti, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I'll, let me pray, and then I've got some great questions for you. And just excited to have this conversation today. All right, Father, we thank you for your grace to us, and I thank you for all that you've done in the life of Kosti and all the things that that we share because we're brothers in Christ. And so I thank you that we're forgiven men, we're, we're counted righteous because of. The, the perfect life of Jesus, and, and we uh, we talk to each other as blood-bought brothers, and so I thank you for that. Also, we, we talk to each other as as uh, shepherds, and I'm excited to learn from him and hear all that you're doing in his life, all that you have done, and uh, just excited to have this conversation. So lead it, and I pray for everybody that's listening, that they would be encouraged and, and challenged and, and just excited about all that you're doing. So lead this conversation. I trust that you're going to, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think a lot of people especially my listeners will be familiar with your story, at least pieces of it. But for those who have no knowledge of who you are, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you're currently doing? Yeah. So I grew up in the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. My, my last name is Hin, So I'm the, I'm a PK. My dad was a prosperity gospel preacher, a word of faith, Pentecostal extreme, not just like you know, a regular Pentecostal, very extreme, uh, charismatic. And uh, so growing up, we had a church in Canada. My uncle is Benny Hinn, my dad's brother. And so that was another facet of our life in ministry. My dad traveled with, with Uncle Benny. He was the closest to him. And on a lot of those videos on YouTube and what have you, and on the weekly program, my dad would be the one on the side uh, yelling into the mic, you know, pastor, this woman had a uh, a tumor and it fell off, or this woman couldn't move and now she can, or, or whatever the, the testimony is. If you ever see those healing lines mm-hmm. and the people's yeah. testimonies, um, my dad, Henry, was at the helm there and he would preach sometimes at the Crusades. And so that was life growing up. And also then as I got older, I was going to go play baseball at Dallas Baptist University and then in California initially. And in order to, you know, have God unlock my dreams, so to speak, of uh, for baseball and achieving my goals, I sowed a seed 
into Uncle Benny's ministry, which was not money because I didn't really have any. I was a kid, but I had family money. Uh, So it was my time. And so I said, I'm going to sow a seed of time. So I put off college and baseball, which is a pretty big deal when you're a senior in high school. And nearly two years, uh, I traveled with and for Uncle Benny. I worked as his assistant. I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. And that was life. So that's my backstory. And then now, probably a big gap in between, uh, I am a pastor at a Bible church. We... Uh, just yesterday endured a 45 minute exposition of the scriptures. And uh, in the morning, actually pastor John, one of our, our lead elders, he uh, preached out of Titus in the morning. I preached in the evening on knowing God's will. And so that's kind of the picture of my life now. And I'm not in that family. And I actually call out the prosperity gospel and I've written a book about the prosperity gospel. So kind of, that's a snapshot of, of, BC, what I would okay. say before Christ, and then um, AD after death, after the death of Costi and new life in Christ. That's good. Thank you very much. It's interesting you went to Baptist college. So I went, I grew up in a kind of a Baptist, cost, like a Baptist church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was Baptist, but with some Pentecostals there, and it was just a hodgepodge of, of everything theologically. Yes. I go away to Pentecostal college. And then in the summer times, I'm working with Southern Baptists. So I'm working in two worlds that are completely confused and, and kind of scared of each other. Yes. So you go from, from Benny Hinn world and and your family world into a Baptist college. Now, uh, fascinating. And I know since I've heard your story before that you had a baseball coach, I'd love to hear a little bit about your testimony about when some of the light bulbs came on a little bit for you, where you started to question, wait a second, uh, this is not, this something's off here. And so if you would, would you kind of tell about God bringing you out of that? just such a fascinating story. I'd love, love for my listeners to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you again two pictures. So just picture me finishing working with and for Uncle Benny. And I roll onto the campus eventually of Dallas Baptist University, an SBC school. And I have a H2 Hummer chromed out, TVs in it, um, you know, big Breitling watch. I'm like 19-year-old kid, 20, 21-year-old kid. At that point, I'm getting through college. And um, they were really kind, but I was that cocky, uh, you know, hen kid. I would, had the Hummer pulled up on curbs. I would park it wherever I wanted. And so um, I'm on the baseball team and acting like a hot shot. And Coach Hefner, Dan Hefner, godly man, a Bible man, he starts planting seeds in my life slowly but surely. And I knew how to play the Christian game, right? I grew up in church, even though we were in total heresy with the prosperity gospel, we knew and could articulate the true gospel. I knew the Bible. I was memorizing verses as a kid. So I was loaded with scripture. So when it came time to join these Bible studies and different things, we had one called the Oaks. I jumped in and I could articulate things. The neat thing was I started to see things from a different perspective though, as coach would bring up different aspects of who God was. And that's what started to mess with me. Everybody, In the prosperity gospel, a lot of people can play the Sunday school game and give you the correct little Bible answers. It's when we talk about the nature of God, who God is, that starts rewiring things or causing the wires to stop firing. For me, Mm -hmm. coach talked about God's sovereignty all the time. 
And one time we get called up in the scrimmage. There is an actual Yankee scout in the stands to see Ryan Gones, who right now is with the White Sox, and Victor Black and some other guys who were first-round supplemental pick type of stuff. These are good players. The scout's there to see them. And everyone's nervous because mm-hmm. if you play well on a day when the scout's there to see another player, you get noticed and you end up on a watch list. And, you know, that's the dream, all that. So coach goes, hey, guys, listen, Relax. Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of the king is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is sovereign. He controls kings, scouts, your future. He's got this. You just go out and play the game. You focus on what you can control. Don't worry about what you can't control. God is sovereign. And I'm in my mind thinking, like, here's this dude who drives a white Toyota Camry, and I drive a Hummer. He's this little, just a Baptist baseball coach, whatever. And I know about getting God to do what I want. I I know about sovereignty. I can confess something and make it happen. My faith Mm. is a force. I can use it to make some things go down. So that's my outlook. Well, in the the moment, I didn't realize it, but that was a huge crack in the dam of my theology because the first time I've ever come into contact with God's sovereignty was there. And then fast forward, I meet a gal after, and the Lord uses her. Um, now she's my wife and the mother of my three, almost four kids. She's due in the spring. And Christine is just this amazing godly woman. She's very conservative. She's very thoughtful and logical. She's a left brainer. So er, analytics and she's looking at things and going, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, what about this? And so she's asking questions and I'm thinking, well, I want to marry this gal right. and I love her and I got to figure out what's up and down. So the Lord uses her and probably a longer story there, but in, in a short form, she begins to get really persecuted by my family because she can't speak in tongues. She doesn't really fall down under the power the way they always want her to. She right. fell one time when they prayed for her because she was trying to, and she thought she had to tip over. So she tips over and the catchers catch her. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe now they'll accept her and on and on and on. We go to these things and she's not getting accepted by the family. So there's that. And then eventually a pastor, I go, join a church plant in Southern California. And it was a very attractional seeker driven, just, you know, do whatever to get him in the door church plant. So they didn't mind a hen kid being around. That's just good stuff, whatever. And I go to preach a sermon out of John five, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. I I'm thinking it's a sermon on healing. I got this thing nailed. I'm a hen. And so Yeah. So he gives me a commentary by this, you know, guy I've never really heard much about. And his name is John MacArthur. So I'm like, oh, whatever. And I'll guess I'll try this out. And I don't open the commentary because I don't really care about commentaries at that time. I'm like, whatever, I'll just read the passage and the Holy Spirit will speak to me and tell me what to say. You know, I used to always say, God told me. And I began to study John 5, 1 through 17. And real quick, three things stick out. Jesus heals one. Jesus heals him immediately. Mm. The man doesn't know who Jesus is. All of that is completely counteracting the way I used to believe what we taught. We said, God will heal everyone. It's always his will. If you don't get healed, it's your problem. You don't have enough faith. You didn't give enough offering, et cetera. Two, we healed with process and music and my uncle's jacket is waving everywhere. And there's this whole big show and there was never real power and real healing with a word. Right. my uncle or somebody with this supposed gift says, 
in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Or like Jesus, pick up your pallet and walk. Get out of that wheelchair in Jesus' name. Boom. Never. It was always this process and this show and nothing really concrete. And then finally, the man doesn't know who Jesus was when the Pharisees ask him, who told you you could pick up your pallet and walk? It's the Sabbath. And he goes, I don't know, the guy who healed me. John records he didn't even know who Jesus was, the word being I, I do, and he doesn't even perceive who Jesus was. So I'm messed up at this point. I cracked the commentary. MacArthur just tees off mm. and says, here is an example of the sovereign power of God in action. Christ's sovereign healing ministry. He didn't heal this man because of anything he did, his merits, his offering, his faith. He healed the man because he's compassionate. He's savior. He's sovereign. He's in control. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's what coach used to say. Yeah. What in the world? And then MacArthur goes, and here we see, or therein lies the, the cruelest lie of faith healers today, that the people they fail to heal are guilty of negative confession, unbelief, not enough faith, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going, oh my, mm, that yeah. was and is me. So I begin to weep. I repent. I vow to preach the true gospel. I burst through my pastor's door and kick the door in. And I'm like, it was all a lie. And I'm yelling, you know, I have this total yeah. turnaround, you know, metanoia, mind change, just flipping around over. And I'm, I'm suddenly, I realized the real word repentance. I'm like, okay, this is happening. I'm not just remorseful. Right. And my whole life turns upside down. I go to seminary. Um, I become a PIT pastor in training. I, my title stripped away. I was like a pledge at a fraternity and, you know, like just this, this pastor in training and I'm there to serve. And so that would last, last about four years. Wow. And of course that was near seven years ago now. And that's the, I try to keep that story short. It's hard to yeah, it's a lot there, but um, that's the picture. And then we've just walked the road now following the word of God, being faithful, submitting to our elders and the process that God's word has for men who are pastors. Praise God. That's incredible. That's incredible. So as you're saying that, I got a couple questions for you. And one of the things I hear all the time, I remember the first time I ever heard, it's always God's will to heal. And I'm at, you know, Pentecostal college and I've heard stuff over the years and from, from where I grew up. And then years later, I heard this phrase and, and the opposite seems like it seems such, that's such a tricky phrase because it seems like the opposite would be, well, it's God just wants you to be sick, but that's yeah. not, that's not the opposite. It seems like very clear from the scriptures that God wants something more for us than just to be healthy or to be sick. He is after our growth, our obedience, our heart, joy for us. And and those things seem to be, it's not a matter of the pendulum swinging. Well, God just wants me to be poor and sick and miserable. That's That's not at all what people are saying when they object to it's always God's will to heal. So have you seen that before? How do you counteract that when somebody says it's always God's will to heal? What, What do you say now? Yeah, the extremes are never healthy, right? Like you said, it's that it's always God's will to heal and that it's always God's will for everybody sick. That's, that's just not accurate. Um, right. I always go to um, you know, a, a more balanced approach with regards to the atonement. And so I try to remember, where did I used to get that from? Where did I used to think it's always God's will to heal? Well, it was rooted in a teaching that said, God, the Son already paid for sickness. Mm -hmm. He paid for death. He paid for all pain. When did he do that? On the cross, the atonement. Oh, wow. So because of the atonement, 
just like you confess and repent of your sin and you believe and you take hold of what he has given in the atonement, your salvation, so too by faith confess your healing and take hold of that, right? That was the false teaching of this guaranteed healing in the atonement. Okay, what's the correct approach? Well, it's not to say, well, it's God's will now for everyone to be sick all the time. Mm -hmm. It's to realize that with just basic human logic, that God in his common grace has given us. We are promised glorified bodies in first Corinthians 15. Amen. So let's make a short list. We are, we are told by Jesus store up treasure for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. So as, as we give and serve and sow good seed, let's make sure we're prosperity gospel clear here. And mm-hmm. you are supporting and generous and kind, and you are storing up treasure and your money isn't controlling you and you're, pouring in resources to the gospel. You're actually storing up treasure in heaven. So that's a principle. So there obviously is treasure in heaven and some future. There's rewards in heaven. Let's say you're literal in this sense. There's going to be crowns in heaven. We're given crowns and rewards. We're going to throw them back at his feet. So there's Mm -hmm. that. And then there is no more sickness, no more pain, and no more tears. That's just my short list. Okay. I don't know about you, but I don't. Well, of course, we don't cry. We're men, right? Okay. But we cry. (laughs) Yeah. So there's still tears. Um, I experience pain often. I have young children. They drop things on my feet all the time. That's painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lose friends on a more serious note, and pastors and loved ones and people, and we do funerals. That's painful. We, yeah. we mourn for them. I don't have a glorified body yet. I don't know about you, but I still have to go to the gym. I haven't for a long time because I have a lot of kids now, but I <laughs> I, I'm not in a glorified body. Yeah. I also have uh, my own mother had a tumor. My son, young son has cancer. My uncle, this is known as a heart condition for years. So now I can put my finger down on that list item. So I'm running out of things that are actually guaranteed that I get now. Yeah. Right. And there's the logic, right? There are things in the atonement that, are promised and guaranteed in heaven, but I don't get them now. The last one, my thumb, I forgot. The last one is what? Eternal life. Yeah. Am I living in eternal life yet? No, it's appointed to a man once to die. I've got to die first. Right. So the yeah. promises in the atonement, guaranteed healing, guaranteed eternal life. I don't know about you, Jared. I'm, I'm sure though, I do know. Is our salvation, are we sure we're saved? I am. I know Absolutely. you are. You love the Absolutely. Lord. Absolutely. There's lots of people listening. You have the assurance of salvation, the Holy Spirit given as a pledge. He bears witness in your soul. Also, you see your life and you go, there's patterns that match the identity of a Christian. Wow, that's great. But you're not in eternal life yet. Right. So it's an over-realized, maybe eschatology or an over-realized, over-realization of promises that are guaranteed in glory, but not yet. So that's where that comes from and that's how I counteract it. It's helpful. That's so helpful. Well, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you specifically about healing in the atonement, because a couple of weeks ago, there was this video that went around from your uncle, and I saw it on several different places, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere you could see it. There it was of him renouncing some of his bad theology from the past. Yeah. Specifically talking about, you know, erase your debt with a thousand dollars, pledge a thousand dollars, those sorts of things. He said that he's not going to go on telethons anymore. And I thought, man, praise God, there's some movement here. God's doing a work. And, and then I was waiting and, and hoping that he would correct some of his healing now theology as well. Mm-hmm. 
Because in my mind, every time, if, if, if we get all the benefits of the atonement right now, and you're saying it correctly, biblically, we don't, if, if what Benny Hinn says is true, or people like Bill Johnson or, or people that are in the healing movement and have that theology, every, the fact that I'm wearing glasses every time I get a headache, yep. I should doubt that my sins are forgiven. If it's a one-to-one, if my sins are forgiven in the same way that my body is healed now, then I should doubt. And so I'm waiting as I'm watching that video and thinking, okay, is he going to also renounce his healing theology? And, and that is not to say that God does not heal. Okay, that's not to say that God does not heal even now, but that all the benefits of the atonement are right now. And I didn't see that. And so I'm waiting. Do you, do you see that coming down the pipeline? For one, what was your reaction to that video? And number two, do you think that there is a correction also happening in his understanding of healing? That's a great question. I can share personally um, as much as possible, and I will. I have no nothing to hide. On that note, I was encouraged, like you, when I heard him say the words he said about the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology. Anytime somebody, anybody says that, um, that's reason to rejoice. That's great. He he caused a lot of problems for himself and for other preachers just by saying what he said there were already there's already videos coming out of guys and gals who are in that and they're mitigating and they are doing damage control and so yeah you can watch um there's this one guy i think his name's david taylor he's just angry on twitter he's he's mad i guess he insults me he says something about me someone sent it to me and he calls me um that that freaking nephew or something like that and he's yelling at my uncle He's yelling at Uncle Benny on this video. Um, and so that I get, I, that went viral and it's everywhere. I'm like, all right, well, he's obviously upset. And there's this other woman, um, kind of prophetess, self-acclaimed prophetess who, who went up and said, well, what Benny said, and she begins to, to, to mitigate because all these people have, you know, Bentleys and Aston Martins and big houses and lifestyles to protect and followings mm-hmm. that are going, wait a minute, Benny said that. Maybe this all is fake. So mm, yeah. all that, that I'm, we're, we're, we need to compartmentalize here like waffles. Let's not be spaghetti. We're waffles right now. We have our little boxes. That's box one, and that's a good thing. All of that is positive, and it is clear. But if we move to an objective compartment number two or another little box, we do have major issues still mm-hmm. that are prevalent there. There was no repentance of healing now. There was no repentance of false prophecies. There was no uh, repentance of lifestyle decisions and sins um, that we've all witnessed publicly or privately. There's nothing there. So as I see that, I'm thinking, well, Lord, here's what I'm, here's what I assess, Jared. I go, Lord, is this, is this remorse or is this repentance? Mm -hmm. Help me to discern. Um, help me by the Holy Spirit who's been given and who can help with this a lot to discern. Is this Judas really sad and really upset and and feeling sorrow because man, I've really done something bad here. That's, that's costing me. This didn't work out the way I thought. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea or is this repentance it's, you know, Peter weeping bitterly, you know, the Lord restoring him on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this Zacchaeus up in the tree trying to find this Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house today, man. And he's going home and he's so excited. And he's like, I got to pay people back. I'm not who I used to be. Well, I'm not who I'm going to be, but give me a little bit here. I'm going to pay you all back. And there's this scam artist in town 
Mm -hmm. And it's a total turnaround. And the only people upset are the Pharisees, right? They're like, mm -hmm. come on, you're eating with tax collectors. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus is just jumping through the streets. And then you think of all the times we see people restored or forgiven. And there is a phrase Jesus had said, and we know this one very well. What is it? Go and sin no more. So mm -hmm. remorse is not repentance. Repentance may have some level of remorse in it, but man, you're, the mind is changing over right. everything. And why I use compartments is now to kind of land that illustration. There's, you can't compartmentalize repentance. Mm -hmm. You can't repent of one box and not the other box. Yeah. They, they're all together. Mm -hmm. You have to repent of a total lifestyle, all your sin. I didn't hear him say, um, you know, I repent, I have sinned. I heard him say, uh, I am correcting my theology. Right. I heard him say, I, a lot. I, I. I heard him say that it's not because of my critics. And that's good. I, I'm, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody should get credit I certainly don't want credit. I don't think any other guys want credit. It's not about credit. It's it, those statements are very PR like, and again, okay. not presuming motives. I'm just saying, as I observe, you know, when I say I'm correcting my theology, we're going to get this ship righted. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not responding because my critics, what that does is it protects still what he mm -hmm. has. Right. It makes sure that, Anybody who's been critical is still kept outside. Mm -hmm. It also makes sure that he is at the center of this. He's controlling the process. He's correcting his theology. Brother, you and I both know uh, that that's not how repentance works. I don't yeah. say, well, I'm going to correct this. No, I lay myself bare before Christ. I, if it's true repentance, we actually want people to speak into it because we want the truth. And we go, right. you know, because our mind has changed. And so that's where our entire family is right now. I've talked with some other family members and I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I'll tell, talk with you about it. Um, there are other family members that are very concerned, but encouraged. And mm -hmm. so as one put it, we are a good, this was a pastor friend said, I'm not suspicious. I don't want to be cynical. I'm, I'm cautious. And I liked that. It was, it's a cautious optimism. So uh, longer answer to what you asked, but does that help shed some light as we question? Um, yeah. One more thing I'll add. This is direct from a family conversation, so I'll bring it in for you. Okay. Our, as a family, maybe we're, maybe we're the most cynical because we've all been around it for years, uh, even in the inside. This is a pattern. This is around three or four, three at minimum, I think four, but I don't want to exaggerate from the false prophecies about God burning homosexuals in the nineties to, um, I think the Paula white situation where he right. said, um, you know, I let things get unhealthy or I let it appear unhealthy. There was no, like no one really under, no one really was sure what the storyline was there and everybody right. did PR control. So there's that. And then there was, you know, last year, I've gone too far with prosperity theology when he did that video. Mm -hmm. And then now this okay. we've watched over the years as family. And again, this is family members saying second Peter two 22 talks about false teachers going back. Like they, Peter quotes a proverb. It's a bit mm -hmm. vulgar, but it's the Bible going back to their vomit. Yeah. And then a sow after washing, returning to the mire. And so as believers, we need to be both 
grace and truth, right? Mm -hmm. Love and justice. So I look at both sides and go, man, I'm pumped. Praise God. I also look at the other and go, well, Lord, there's been a pattern with him. Please let this not be second Peter two twenty two. Please have yeah. mercy on him. Please let it be Zacchaeus, not Judas. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm following and I'm trusting and I'm going to discern rightly. That's yeah. the way I approach it. I try not to fly off the handle with either side and just go nuts saying, you know, he's a heretic still forget okay. it. Nothing counts, but also not throw the victory parade yet. Yeah, that's good. Well, hopefully, you know, everyone's testimony is miraculous, supernatural, and because of God's grace and God's grace alone. But it would be wonderful to see what God did in your heart, in your life, for him to do that yes. in your Uncle Benny's life, and for anybody for that matter, not just your Uncle Benny, but it's always wonderful to see God's grace at work and, and people truly repent. And I'm praying that that happens. I'm praying that they're going with him and there is uh, repentance and we just get to celebrate the work of God in his life Amen. just like we, we do with you. Now, uh, you wrote the book, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. I loved it. Read it a couple months ago, just right when it came out. I think the day it, it came out, I got it through Amazon, and it was in my mailbox. Picked it up, read it that week. Fantastic. Now, why did you write it? Where can people get it? And also, did you send a copy to your family? Did you send, did you send a copy to your dad and mom and to Uncle Benny? Yeah. So uh, I wrote the book because for two reasons. One, on a rescue mission. Uh, for family, certainly <laughs> it's, it's, it's for them. Uh, and it on a rescue mission for all lost souls that are yeah. caught up in this and, and people and Christians who aren't sure how to dialogue on this issue and they're not sure maybe it is an issue. So um, I wrote the book to help equip people and to help try to rescue lost people that might read it. And um, people can get it at Amazon Barnes and Noble in the store. It's in live copies. Lifeway online now because they're closing all their stores. Um, Target, Walmart online, all that. Um, okay. Some stores have them. And then Audible, if you're an audio book listener. This guy, Josh Childs, did the narrating. It's really awesome. He's got a, cool. a really cool voice. Um, they didn't give me the option to, to do it. I had some people say, I only read books Audible on Audible that the actual author narrates. I'm like, I didn't get that option. So, um, yeah, you can get it anywhere books are sold, christianbook.com, et cetera. And then, uh, yeah, some family have been given copies. Uh, other family members have uh, previously destroyed different paraphernalia. I don't know if, well, that is that a good word? Paraphern, whatever you'd call it material okay. that has been uh, sent their way. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, there's enough out there that, um, they can run into something. Okay. Well, and I'll make sure to put a, put a link in the show notes. So everybody can find, find your book and it's helpful. Okay. I got three more questions for you and we'll kind of switch gears here a little bit and talk about some things going on now and an archaeological camp. And so I'm kind of in the same stream as you are. Uh, and, you know, the complementarianism world right now and, and gender sexuality world is absolutely mm. insane in our world. And then even in within different pockets, you have soft complementarianism and then you have full blown 200 proof complementarianism. And you got these different groups also that are fighting. Yep. And man, you, uh, you can can definitely stir the pot a little bit on Twitter. Uh, I, I've seen you do that a bit and seen some folks, <laughs> of, some people get riled up a little bit about your position on preaching and, and uh, first Timothy chapter two and what God says to women about teaching. And, uh, sure. and what I've noticed, and I'm going to ask if you've noticed the same thing is that in, in the complementarianism camp, which I'm, I'm in 
I have seen people who want to hold on to that title and say we're complementarian, and but then immediately begin to apologize or caveat or qualify all that that means, and until it's actually shown to be pretty much an embarrassment about the position, mm-hmm. rather than presenting the beauty of it, which it is beautiful because God designed it that way. Uh, why are people embarrassed of their complementarian verse? Are they? Have you noticed that as well? And then how do we course correct? Is it an issue of the authority of the word of, of, or being embarrassed of the word? What, what's going on with reformed yeah. complementarianism right now? Well, let's, you brought up my tweet or uh, my Twitter. Um, so let's use that as an illustration. I tweeted, I tweeted like one time, honestly, on, um, you know, our, in our family, we are complementarian. We are very respectful of others who hold different positions. We are respectful of women. My sons are raised to honor and highly esteem their mom. And my wife is my spiritual equal. That woman is godly. She's incredible. She's intellectually astute. Um, She's a woman of wisdom. Clearly, um, when we operate in our roles, and so she's a very submissive and meek and humble woman as well. And I want to be a servant to her. So all with all those things clear, um, I tweeted once about a, a funny story. I thought it was hilarious. Um, my own mom was out preaching back in the day. She was a, she's a pastor and they call her pastor Donna. Mm-hmm. And she was preaching overseas in China. My son loves Hudson Taylor and loves missionaries. And he, she told him, guess where I just preached Titus. And he said, where? And she said, I just preached in China. My mom went on a trip over to Asia okay. and he was like, Whoa. And her name is Tata, Tata D. We call her okay. Tata D. And, uh, he goes, how did you preach over there? And she was like, well, what do you mean? I went and preached in China. And he said, did you turn into a boy? <laughs> and it was just this great moment. It was, it was funny. Uh-huh. At first, she at first she was not amused. She was like, <laughs> and then after she's laughing, everything's fine. Um, it was great. I because my son had asked before, you know, can Gracie preach his little sister? Because we all take turns preaching and te- and I said, sure, Gracie can preach and teach to you know mommy and to you know baby Timmy and to children. And I began to leak in a complementarian vision of God's order in the church. Not in the world, not in, you know, if a woman is a CEO at Pepsi and I work at Pepsi, I, I can submit to my CEO who's, a, it's in marriage, the two institutions that God has designed and designated to be pictures of his glorious work in with Christ. And I mean, this is clear. Anyone yeah. taking it too far and like now women can't do anything. That's crazy. Yeah. So in marriage and in the church two clear areas where God has said, here's an order. And even Christ coming as a model, submitting to fulfill his role is a picture we're given. So with all that clear, um, we have a great laugh over it. My mom starts using the word, you know, teaching or sharing, even just to, to help, you know, support our family's position. We have a great deal of respect. So the tweet, I tweeted just a funny story and um, she's passed now, not going to get into it. Um, Rachel Held Evans had jumped on, and that it went viral and I got just crazy hate mail and, and that, that why I tell that story. I have two choices in that moment. I can begin to feel the pressure and apologize for my complimentarian position, or I can stay the course and go, look, we differ on this. God bless y'all. 
relax here. And that is what it is. And things get very personal though. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. feminism is a device that the enemy, our adversary Satan will use to both ignite women who are, have been hurt by abusive and domineering and disrespectful men, mm-hmm. and also women who have bought into the lie that God's design is not good enough. Doesn't that sound mm-hmm. familiar? Doesn't that mm-hmm. sound like Lucifer in the uh, Genesis account as he says and whispers to Eve? You know, basically, mm-hmm. did God really say? Yeah. And that is the issue right there. The issue is not, you know, all the other stuff that people try to bring in. Mm-hmm. But the issue is not even, uh, you know, whether or not a, a woman can, can offer anything of value and that those are all extremes. Yeah. The bottom line in two areas, God has given men leadership and oversight and it is leadership by death, by service. You, mm-hmm. we die to ourselves. Yeah, uh, we don't dominate. And so that in and of itself is, would be my complementarian position. And here's, I'll add another word on that. I think there's a lot of men who need training and coaching and discipleship on what that looks like. They think yeah. that complementarianism is a license to just dominate their wife and go, you have to submit to me. And they turn into a dictator. Yeah. Not helpful. I, I, I can tell you this and I don't say this boasting and I, I know, I know you enough to know that this is your home as well. Our wives are submissive, not because we dominate them, Mm-hmm. because we love them. I hear my wife. I dialogue with my wife. And in the end, you know what my wife says to me when we moved to Arizona? She said, I've spoken my piece. I've, you've heard my heart. I love you. I trust you. Lead us. I will follow. That I don't have to twist her arm. Yeah. Yep. Now, I, I've learned that though, because older, wiser men taught me. And so the biblical model of that is that it that's complementarianism in its truest form. And again, we tend to, because we're people of extremes, we swing to both sides. And so you have the yeah. feminist approach where no man going to hold me down. And now we're twisting the, the Bible and having to cut out parts and mess with Paul and mess with mm-hmm. God's order. And then over here is the extreme and dominant abusers who use the Bible, just like prosperity gospel teachers and others, mm-hmm. and twist it and use it as a hammer to build their own thing. Yeah. That is... Are, that's the two extremes. Does that give you a picture yeah. at least? It's very helpful. And, you know, as you're describing these, these extremes, it's interesting to me that, that feminism and any, any picture of, of gender outside of what the Bible gives us, it actually is incredibly demeaning to both men and women because it says equality equals same. And in yep. the Bible's equality is just the baseline of humanity because the Bible says God has made you, made you equal, but also bestowed dignity beyond that male and yep. female so it's a yep. it's a quality and let's not be demeaning and just say that god has made us equal he's made us so much more than that it's not a yep. equal but different it's equal and so much more and so the beauty of how god has designed that to work i think is what's missing in a lot of complementarian circles is the ability to articulate that that there is a beauty here that this is a good thing and practically yeah. man you're exactly right my wife and i can't tell you how incredible it was to have my wife season of difficulty in ministry, she's got her head on my shoulder and she looked at me and she said, Jared, I don't understand this situation at this church that we were leaving, but she said, I trust you. And yeah. we had, she had cried. We had cried together and prayed together. And it was, it, it was incredible. And my wife uh, was being a picture of what it means to be humbly submissive 
while being strongly submissive as well. Not weak, need, nothing like that. And, and boy, that was, uh, it was, it was an incredible moment for sure. Um, I agree, man. You're but that on. bestowed, that bestowed, you know, the, the responsibility to serve, as you said, as men, is, is one of a, this isn't a, a power thing. This is about service. And, uh, no, and, yeah. and that will never, that will never get you anywhere long-term. You'll, you'll mm-hmm. actually hurt and harm your wife by trying to dominate and force her into submission. Right. Um, in, in one last parallel, did, does Jesus force the church into submission? No. Does, does he lead? Does he model a forcefulness? No. He led by loving. He led by death. He loved first. And it's very interesting. If you do the study on Titus 2 and you look at, you know, why older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, and be diligent or pure workers in the home. Look, at, look up that word love used okay. in Titus 2 and then go over to Ephesians 5 and do the study on husbands loving their wives. It's very interesting. You'll see different words used. Wow. Aga- agape. Now, every Christian should agape love. Mm-hmm. But in commands, husbands are to agape love their wife, unconditional love, a love like Christ. And a wife, nowhere, besides as a Christian, obviously, again, is agape love. But nowhere is there this big verse that a wife is to agape love her husband, and she's yeah. to shoulder the load, and she's to initiate. Men are the initiators. Yeah. If yeah. we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, how is that not clear? Mm-hmm. So while I'm not ever going to apologize for my complementarianism, I, I'm also, I, I want to veer the camera sometimes at at the men who get it wrong and go, what are you guys thinking? It, it's loving like Christ, meaning you are the initiator. Mm-hmm. You don't sit back and go, cook for me, clean for me, do this, fulfill my sexual desires, listen and obey and submit. That's not how Jesus did it. No. He, it, was a, it was a different paradigm. So um, admittedly, first year of marriage, I was young and immature, and I did the whole, like, you need to submit and all that stuff. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. Yeah. And it was an older, wiser pastor that came along and said, hey, buddy, listen, you, you pull the submission card, like, rarely in marriage. And I remember asking him, uh, like, just, like, every, just every few weeks or, like, every month, like, just every few. He's like, no, Costi, like, maybe two to three times in your life, buddy. <laughs> like, what? Oh, good. right now I'm, I'm kind of using it almost every day. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, my friend. Let me help you. And so he counseled me and I realized maybe like one, two, three times in your life as a man, your wife is frustrated. She's upset. You need to hear her well. Mm-hmm. And you know, you need to move. You need to like go to the mission field. You need to take a different job. You need to course correct the home, whatever that is. And, and she is being a first Peter three weaker vessel emotionally. Let's make sure we're clear, not mm-hmm. intellectually, not you know, spiritually, right. and you're going to lead her through that season and go, I'm asking you, follow me on this, submit to me on this. It's not going to be easy, but I, I'm, I'm pulling the submission card on this one, babe. Can you, can you just trust and follow? And on the other side, let's weigh my decision and see if the Lord is, is with me or not. The, he was like, yeah, two to three times in your life, Costi. And I'm thinking, wow, a 50, 40, 50 year marriage, if the Lord allows, and three, two to three times you pull the submission card. So a lot of men are getting it wrong mm-hmm. as they 
kind of throw that around. And so I want to add that in. Guys apologize because they get scared. They feel the pressure. Feminist uprisings are, are, are downright scary. You get death threats and the whole bit. But in the end, hold your line and be fair and be biblical and love them through it. And I'll add one more thing. This might be a fire starter and I don't, I'm not worried about it. I don't care. This is the truth. Often when those women get fired up, they're exhibiting the very nature that is intended to submit. Yeah. They're exhibiting a dominance. They're exhibiting their weaker vessel nature because they get emotional. They, they flip their lid and they start losing their minds and going, we're so much more. We're so than what we're so much more than cooking and cleaning. We're so much more than stay at home moms. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is a woman who has lost control yeah. and is losing her temper on Twitter mm-hmm. over this issue. And we need to, as men be godly and humble and meek, but unwavering on Amen. this. So good. I went a little further, but there it is. That's all right. That's okay. All right. You've got a new season of ministry. You've written a couple of books now. You're getting to speak in different places. It seems like your schedule is filling up. How do you maintain a proper focus being a Christian husband and father before being Pastor Costi? How do Absolutely. you maintain that, that proper balance? We have a little jingle in our home, and I'll give you real examples. Uh, it, it, it goes like this. If you want your cake and to eat it too, wifey books the flight for you. Okay. Okay. That's how we, that's how we do things. So I'll like give you a real example. Um, I run every, so here, complementarianism. Here you go. The feminist that thinks I just, my wife's a doormat. I run every trip through my wife. She is the final judge and jury. Um, and I got a godly wife who loves the gospel and cheers me out the door sometimes mm. every time I go but I go away sometimes. So she'll cheer me out the door and the kids are clapping and they're excited. Daddy's going to go preach the gospel. And you know, my son thinks I'm not at all, but he, he, he thinks I'm like Adoniram Judson. I'm like, yes. I, Oh yes. Thank you, son. Make me feel so good. They make, they make, they make me feel heroic for going out and preaching. And I'm so thankful. And I come home to a hero's welcome, but, but my wife at any time can veto any trip at any moment, because she is my first ministry. That's my home is my first ministry. So um, example in October, I'm going to North Carolina. I wanted to preach at this conference called shepherds 360. And I have a great deal of respect for men like Bruce Ware, Jonathan Lehman, Al Mohler, Erwin Lutzer. And and these men are preaching at this conference and I get to, to open in the first night. Um, I, that's undeserving that I'm, I'm humbled by that. I don't have any business being there. And they asked me to, I think it's like Erwin Lutzer and I are opening the conference. So I'm grateful. That's a Monday night. Mm-hmm. And I molars up the next night. And I wanted, I want to stay obviously. And I want to stay the whole week. And I want to get yeah. dinner with some of the speakers and pick their brains and grow in wisdom and just learn and be around men that are godly. And, um, you know, I'm on a flight the next morning after doing a workshop. I preach Monday night. They've got me going Sunday morning. And then I preach Monday night, I do a work. They squeezed one workshop out of me in early Tuesday morning. And then I'm on a flight. I really rush from the airport in my suit uh-huh. to the flight. I will miss Moeller's session. I will have dinner with no, no speakers. Mm-hmm. And I will get my rear end home, so to speak, 
to my first ministry. That's how I travel right now. I don't do it often. I've got a couple of trips this fall. Um, I'm going to go to Jefferson City like once a month right now. Okay. I'm going away right now. I was just in Dallas for 36 hours in August, in and out, left mm-hmm. the same day. And then um, Missouri, I go to Jefferson City, preach there next Sunday at a great church. They got leveled by the tornado. It's that area oh. in Missouri. So really excited to go and serve. And then I'll be home uh, in within 48 hours and then North Carolina in October. And then I'm done. I have G3 in January. Mm-hmm. And so nothing in November, December. And then G3 in January, nothing in February. And then I won't, I may go and like visit ShepCon because I enjoy the refreshing time right. and, and all that. But in general, um, my wife's due late March. I canceled Answers in Genesis. I canceled another one to Michigan. I've basically, I will cancel everything. And I'm, that's the way we do it. it yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about offending anyone. Um, have you read Tom Askell's book, Dear Timothy? He sent me a copy. He sent me a copy, um, but I've not read it yet. It's on my shelf, and so okay. it's on my list of books to get to. So here's here's pastor like brother to brother cheat sheet moment. Okay, go to just just read nightstand reading mm-hmm. twenty minutes the first little chapter in a bit. You'll see his five categories for for a man. Uh huh. And this is what I use to control all these decisions. Okay. I am a Christian, mm-hmm. I am a husband, father, pastor, helper. Okay. When my pastoring starts to take a hit, I stop helping. Mm-hmm. Helping is travel. Helping is nonprofit work. Helping oh, is, is book, yeah. book writing and the demands of the world. Um, helping is you and me right now, right? And we're mm-hmm. on. And I, we do this at like 7 a.m. So that way it's not in the rest of the day type thing for me. So right. that's that. When my, you know, pastoring starts to take a hit or my fathering rather, my pastoring needs to, to get reassessed and you talk to my elders and say, Hey, I need, I need to, to focus on my home or, mm-hmm. the, or I need to just be more intentional um, and create boundaries and margin in my calendar and obey the calendar, go yeah, home, yep. leave the office, stop saying yes, or raise up some deacons to help you. And then if I'm having, you know, parenting issues, I need to look at my marriage because parenting issues are rooted in marital issues mm-hmm. and things often aren't clicking as a parent because I'm not nurturing the relationship God has given me with my co-pilot. So mm-hmm. I need to do that. Now, if my marriage is suffering, I need to go to that first category and look at my devotion or my Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, Askel does that in just a, in, I was going to say miraculous in just this <laughs> incredible way. Um, it's really not miraculous. It's, it's something we could all do, but, yeah. um, it's a beautiful picture as men. We just drop everything from the list and work our way backwards, roll it back to our own hearts as men. How am I devoting myself to Christ? And so um, we have rules in our home that we've put on ourselves about cell phones in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that we do is roll out of bed and we go to prayer. There, there, there's no getting on Twitter and getting on Instagram and, and right. checking text messages and email. Prayer is the order that begins the day. Um, we have family worship each evening and that may involve, uh, like Donald Whitney's book, 
family worship. It's mm-hmm. not a 40 minute exposition of right. Isaiah six. It is prayer and mm-hmm. little songs. And we have a kid's hymnal and maybe a story, maybe yeah. sometimes, you know, Timothy was crying and kicking involved. As well yeah. at some point. <laughs> Just say, yeah, Timmy, sometimes Timmy loses his mind. And, you know, I tell Titus, I said, Hey, ushers, ushers, remove this, this <laughs> disruptive member. And, you know, he'll pick up yeah. Timmy and turns into a wrestling match. I mean, that's family worship. So mm. we are, in the ministry, and that starts in the home. It's so good. That's so good. It's so helpful, and everybody keep that in mind. Okay, ministry, you know, family is our first ministry, and all of those things, those categories that Askel gave, that's that's so helpful, Kasi. I appreciate that. I got one, one final question for you, and from your book, I get this question a little bit from the book. There's a night that you spent in a $25,000 hotel, and here's the question. In what way does Jesus bring more joy, superior joy to you, than nights in a $25,000 hotel. Man, it explodes inside the, the joy from Christ. It overflows. It comes out your pores. Uh, you wake up in the morning and there's motivation and there's peace and there's new mercies. And it, it, it's just indescribable. I, I'm trying to describe it, but it's this inner peace and joy that explodes out. And every day is on purpose suddenly. And every moment matters. And everything is about Jesus. That is what I experience now. Whereas laying there at the Burj Al Arab, staring up at that ceiling, I'll never forget it. It was a mirrored ceiling. There was gold everywhere. We're in the Royal Suite, 25000 a night. That was for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Christ is... In every moment, he is the treasure. And what's great is that will never end for me now. I will graduate from this life and go into the next life. And in the end, I will only graduate to greater degrees of joy in Christ. There's no dip from here. And so that is, to me, uh, the greatest treasure. When I think of my wife and my children, I think of nothing more that I want for them but for Christ to be their treasure, for him to hold them fast, for them to grow in grace in him and to look back at, at our parenting and the way that we structured our home and the way that we pointed them to the Lord and see young men and women rise up and, and follow Jesus with all that they are. That to me is the greatest gift I could ever be given. And so, man, it's all about Jesus. You can have everything take this world give me jesus like the song and uh if i had nothing but i have him i have everything so Amen. jesus that's is so it good. that's so good kasi this has been a lot of fun thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, i just really appreciate it keep up the good work press on brother thankful for you brother keep it up absolutely thank you for listening for more information please visit the shepherdscrook.co for care and counsel please call text or email to set up a session You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.